BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm really excited because I recently read John Moody's book, Of Course They Knew, and I was really amazed by the fact that John used fictional characters a dramatic license to really help us understand the pandemic and the threat we face with China. As all of you know, I've co-authored a book with Claire Christensen on Trump versus China. I've spent a lot of time over the last 60 years on China, and I thought that John in this book was able to weave together several threads, including an Italian thread, which because of Costa's role as the ambassador to the Vatican, we had spent three and a half years in Italy, the last year of it during the COVID attack, which was very severe in Northern Italy. And I thought John absolutely captured what had happened in Italy in a way that was amazing. And the tension inside the European Union, as average everyday people realize that the Brussels bureaucracy is elitist, globalist, and does not have any interest in their lives or their reality. So when I finished, I really wanted to talk with John because he's a former editor and executive vice president at Fox News. I've known him for many years. He's a very tough-minded researcher, and I think you're going to find this to be a fascinating conversation. So, John, thank you for joining me today. Newt, it's a great pleasure to be here. You grew up in Pittsburgh. As you know, I was born in Harrisburg. You were an executive vice president for Fox News from its founding in 96 to May 2009. So you're one of the key executives who grew what now is overwhelmingly the dominant news organization in the United States. And you've had quite a life. You've lived in New York, Moscow, Paris, Bonn, Warsaw, Mexico, Costa Rica, and Rome, among other places. 
And before your Fox engagement, you were a correspondent for Time magazine from 1982 to 1996. So you really bring a lot of different talent and a lot of different personal experiences to bear. And one of the themes of your new book, Of Course They Knew, explains how the Chinese Communist Party's power and influence works. What inspired you to write on this theme? Well, Newt, I spent most of 2020 getting angry at what I was seeing and hearing and reading as this virus, which we're always told to call COVID now because it might upset the Chinese if we call it the Wuhan flu, just kept spreading, getting worse. And the rest of the world seemed to hold its hands out, palms upward and saying, please, please tell us what to do. And the only people with any ideas seemed to be the Chinese. And the more I read about this, the more I saw what was going on, you know, that China exported this virus to the rest of the world. And then they told us the best way to guard against it was to wear masks that are made in China. So it's sort of business creating business. And the longer I looked at it, the more I thought, well, there needs to be a response to this. I couldn't do the kind of reporting that I wanted to, the standards that I would have held myself to or anybody that worked for me in the past, because China, of course, was not going to cooperate. They weren't going to let me in. They weren't going to tell me anything. And so I decided to do it in novel form, but with the real facts that we all experienced over the past two years. When you sat down to write the novel, I was fascinated because you weave together the United States, China, and Italy in patterns that, first of all, I think feel exactly right, having looked at all of that. But in addition, you bring them together in a way that compounds explaining the nature of the Chinese communist dictatorship. And I'm very curious if I can draw three things when you deal with fiction. Things that are clearly real events. Things that are plausibly real based on what you know from real events. And then things which are sort of move the drama along. How did, in your own mind as you're writing it, how did you divide those things up? If that makes sense to you as a way of thinking about it. Well, yeah, of course it does. And I think that you've probably done the same thing in the novels that you've written. Look, these people are all based on real human beings that I encountered, that I heard about, that I read about. You have to use different names. It's a novel. You don't want to use somebody's real name and exploit them. So I changed the names. I created some characters. But it's very much based on reality. And as far as the structure of the Chinese Communist Party goes, I think the most important thing for your listeners and anyone to understand is this is an evil empire. I mean, I know that was Ronald Reagan's statement before a long time ago, but this is an evil empire that the communists have built in China. They are not part of the forward-thinking Western liberal way of looking at life and looking at governance. They're a power structure, and their only goal is to stay in power. And so I wanted to get that across. Xi Jinping has famously labeled his way of governing socialism with Chinese characteristics. Well, you know, that's a little bit like the Italian mafia saying, you know, democracy at gunpoint. <laughs> no, I, I like that. And I like the way in the novel that you would every once in a while have something happen and you would just drop in socialism with Chinese characteristics. And when you think about what's happened in Hong Kong, or you think about what's happened to Uyghurs, or what's been happening to the Buddhist monks in Tibet, or what happens to you if you're openly a dissident. I mean, they not only disappear people, the highest paid actress in the world was disappeared for six months, apparently because she hadn't paid her taxes. 
But I think actually because the dictatorship wanted to communicate to everybody in China, if we'll disappear her, you have no defense against us. And I think every once in a while you'll drop that in. But you also dropped in similar phrases about the West, where I think you do a better job than anybody I've seen of reminding us that the willingness to kowtow to the Chinese dictatorship has penetrated deeply into the Western system. It certainly has, Newt. What I tried to use as the corollary to socialism with Chinese characteristics was democracy with American characteristics. And indeed, various administrations have decided that it's just not worth taking China on straightforwardly. We're too dependent on their exports. We're too dependent on trade with them. We're too dependent on really confronting them because of the size of their military and the scope of their investments. They own a lot of our debt. They're creating this belt and road. It's already been created, I should say, where they invest billions of dollars in corrupt loans to third world countries and then promise to build airports, promise to build canals, promise to build roads. It's all intended to tie them closer to Beijing. And then eventually Beijing says, hey, you know that loan that we gave you? We're calling it in now unless you do what we tell you. And that's what the Belt and Road Program is. It's blackmail by any other name. So it's a very comprehensive book in a way. You've managed in relatively few pages to really pull together a lot. What was the research process like? Because I realize that while it's a novel, it's a novel which is really based on an extraordinarily in-depth understanding of the system. Yeah, thank you for that. The research was painful. The research was long. The research was frustrating. Again, because there was no way to ask the Chinese government or go to the Chinese embassy and ask, you know, for some help here. They just weren't going to talk. It was also perilous to reach out to Chinese or Chinese Americans that I've met over the course of my career to ask them for help, because you can make a phone call to China, but you have to assume that it's being listened in on. And so I didn't want to get those people in trouble. I was sort of reduced to talking to Chinese living in the United States and Europe to get them to confirm what I thought I had already learned from the various news organizations and my own fairly deep research. They helped a lot. I'll never forget what one of them said to me, and I used it in the book. He said, the truth is not what you have learned. The truth is what the party tells you. You have to understand that if you're going to understand China. That's a chilling thing to be told. I mean, that's 1984 Orwellian stuff. The Ministry of Truth is actually the Ministry of Lies. The Chinese Communist Party is here to help you as long as you don't cross them. And it's that kind of impossible logic that the Chinese Communist Party has imposed on 1.6 billion people and actually the rest of the world as well. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. But the fact is, the nature of a totalitarian system, whether it was the Soviets or the Nazis or the Chinese communists, is to assert the ability to impose truth. Chris and I did a movie about St. John Paul II called Nine Days to Change the World. And we filmed in a number of places in Poland because the movie's about the nine days in 79 where John Paul II, then Pope John Paul II, went back home as the first Polish pope in history and had huge crowds and an enormous impact on the system. And so we went and filmed and talked to a lot of people from that era. And because they liked what we were doing, they gave me a wall poster, which I have in my office, which says in Polish, this came from 1981, for Poland to remain Poland, two plus two must always equal four. And they were saying, in a sense, exactly your point from the opposite side, which is when you say to the totalitarian state, no, you don't get to reframe the facts. You're actually threatening Xi Jinping or threatening Joseph Stalin or whoever it is at the very core of their being because their dictatorship requires the ability to brainwash everybody into whatever this week's truth is. And I thought you did a really good job of building in and explaining that model and how much people learn to retrain themselves. The state doesn't have to do it. They do it voluntarily because they know what the queuing system is and they want to make sure that they don't trigger some kind of punishment or some kind of isolation. To what extent, in that sense, 
were you shaped by what you'd learned about China? And to what extent were you shaped by Orwell and extraordinary description of a totalitarian state? Newt, I think 1984 is one of the scariest pieces of literature that's ever been created. And Orwell had his target insights. He knew what he was saying. And whether they call it totalitarianism, communism, fascism, it is, as you say, it is the need of the authorities, the need of whatever party is in power to say, we run your life. You don't run your life. You do what we tell you or you will suffer. And the Communist Party of China has done a fantastic job of that. They use intimidation. They use family connections who are threatened with bad things if you don't do what they tell you. And it's one of the scariest and most successful real-life systems to be formed. I would say Hitler did the next best job at it, but Hitler was working with a much smaller population, and he was working against a much stronger United States of America in those days. So I'm curious, as you did this research, and I do commend to our listeners that you really caught the rhythm of Italy, of the United States, of China. It's remarkable. What was the biggest surprise to you? The biggest surprise, Newt, was how meekly Americans folded under the threat of this virus, which we are supposed to call COVID. Everybody got scared. Look, 2020 was an amazingly horrible year for the United States, for most of the world, but especially for the United States, which of course is our country and we care about it. You had three things happening. You had the outbreak of COVID, which nobody understood and nobody understood how to defend against in 2020. And so that was terrifying. And we immediately began to blame each other for the spread of COVID. Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, whatever you want to call it. Secondly, we had the social protests that swept across the United States. The Black Lives Matter and related protest movements were in full gear. And they were abetted by the news media, which failed to say by the way, there's a lot of rioting going on, there's a lot of looting going on, and there's a lot of arson going on. Once you start committing arson and looting, you're no longer protesting social justice, you're rioting. And the news media just could not bring themselves to say that. Somebody was standing in front of a police car on fire doing a live shot on television and said, well, this has been fiery but largely peaceful. And then the third, of course, was the 2020 presidential election, which was just a clown show on wheels. Nobody had ever seen such low-brow exchanges between two presidential candidates. And I think the country got scared. What's going on? Where are we headed? What's going to happen to us? Are we going to die from COVID? Are we going to die in civil war protests and fighting each other? Or are we going to have you know something happen to the essence of our democracy? So those three things all knitted together. And that's what I was trying to use, at least for the American part of the book, to explain that we have never, ever been so meek and bended knee and ready to accept what anybody told us if it just saved our miserable lives. One of the things I'm curious about is you have had a long career in the news media. What's your own reaction to how the news media has evolved over the last 10 or 15 years? It's been an abdication of our responsibility. When I was working at Fox and people would come in and they wanted to be interviewed for a possible job. I've said this many times, and it's still true. When someone came in and said, you know, I'd like to work for Fox, and I would say, well, why do you want to do that? And if the answer was, I want to make the world a better place, 
I said, thank you for coming in. My secretary will show you out now. You're not here to make the world a better place. You're here to tell people what you saw, what you witnessed, what you've learned, and what you can report accurately. The news media, and I'm afraid I have to say that it's television more rapidly than the print or the blogosphere. Television has decided that they are the new leaders of opinion, and they will direct the people in the way they want to go. You know, a very famous newspaper owner a long time ago said, give light to the people and they will find their own way. Well, what's going on now is, you know, give your opinion to the people and see if they'll follow you. I'm just very disheartened with what's happened, and I mean that in terms of both the left and the right. This used to be a great art and a great profession, and it's now turned into what I can just call the information industry. And that's a piece of this whole story, that kind of investigative reporting people would have done at one time. We've been through losing far more lives than we lost in all of World War II, and yet there's almost no really serious investigative reporting either about the collapse of our public health system or about the role of the Chinese or about the degree to which so-called experts have just been wrong and have then lied about being wrong. I mean, in a sense, there's a vacuum of people trying to figure out with accuracy what's really going on. Well, no, you've just used one of those words. You know, I remember the old Three Stooges routines and, and would say, slowly I turned step by step whenever they heard a key word that just, you know, touched them off. Experts. Who are experts? Please explain to me what an expert is. Please identify an expert and then let that expert prove his or her worth in the field that he has been labeled an expert in. You now have headlines every day and sometimes twice in the same headline. Experts say. You have to have a booster shot, experts say. Well, one booster shot may not be enough, experts say. These are all people who journalists have called up and said, hey, we want to do a story on booster shots. Can you please tell us that three booster shots aren't enough? And the guy says, yeah, they're not enough. And so that big person becomes an expert because he agrees with you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. 
Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. One of the things you came up with, which I thought was very compelling, was that. You could, in fact, have the bat ending up in the wet market, but having come from the laboratory. In a sense, it's one of the most creative parts of the book and sort of fits all the facts as we know them. What led you to that particular notion? I think it was very well done. Well, Newt, one of the things that I was able to research a bit was the Wuhan Virological Laboratory. I mean, it's a real place. It's a seven-story building on the edge of Wuhan. It is very close to a wet market. And what I also learned is that employees of that virological institute are so badly paid that they sometimes take the test animals that they have been experimenting on over to the wet market and sell them for food. It's a way of supplementing their income, and it's socialism with Chinese characteristics. And so that was the choice that I decided on to explain how the bat or the virus got out of the lab. The other thing I learned about the lab is the second floor of the lab has very low security. You could almost walk in there and you know tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, what are you doing today? And that is where some of the experimentation on bats in particular was taking place. So it's not a big leap of logic to imagine that from the second floor to the wet market is where things went. Wasn't it remarkably irresponsible and dangerous? to engage in the kind of research that would maximize the ability of a virus to jump from an animal to a human? Yes, in the way that it was used in real life. I think that scientists and virologists have the right and the responsibility to look at worst-case scenarios so that they can prevent them, not so that they can release them on the world. It's fine to look at a disease and say, wow, you know, this is really bad, what would happen if it got even worse? Because you're looking for an answer. You're not looking for a weapon. And what happened in China, in Wuhan, was they looked at the virus in its infancy. They said, we could probably weaponize this. And then they did. And they sent 10,000 people from Wuhan out on international flights to spread the virus. Yes, irresponsible. And it was even more irresponsible for American virologists to help in this research and share data with their Chinese colleagues, not knowing that the research was going to be done for good and not evil. Well, and in fact, I think we actually paid for some of it. 
We absolutely did. That's how America handles China. We pay them to tell us what they've learned and to export their goods to us. Boy, did they ever export a winner for us. So you end up with the U.S. government funding the research, which helped create the easily transferred and easily spread Wuhan virus. So you could argue technically, yes, it came out of a bat, but it was designed. It had literally been redesigned to be very good at moving among humans. In fact, I saw several references in the last six months of people saying this had to have been engineered because the speed with which it spread would not have happened with a natural bat virus, which would have taken time to get used to being in humans. And this clearly had been designed to be in humans. I mean, wasn't that total irresponsibility? Newt, I think the answer is that the Chinese knew what they were doing. I think they did not realize how fast the virus would get out of their control. This zero COVID policy that we hear about now in China is really just an elaborate scam so that the Olympics in Beijing can start next month on time and they won't be blamed for infecting athletes and infecting their own people. But when the research was being done, it was always being done with the idea of infecting humans. And that is, again, as you put it very well, irresponsible in the extreme and probably criminal. But of course, what court is going to be the judge of Chinese behavior? Well, at the same time, the very people who were providing the money and the expertise are now the experts who lecture us and who deny their own responsibility. I mean, Dr. Fauci clearly was in the middle of all of this and apparently made a decision very early on to just lie about it. Yeah, I mean, again, there's that trip word, experts, and you can be an expert. I mean, gosh, you're an expert on politics. You're an expert now on the Vatican because you and your wife were such key players there for a while. Yes, you're a real expert. I guess I could call myself an expert on the news media because I've spent 45 years in it. But, you know, to get somebody just to agree with you and then to anoint them with the term expert is irresponsible in the extreme. And whatever Dr. Fauci knew... He certainly hasn't been forthcoming with the American people, even though he has become a TV star and I think quite well reimbursed for all of his troubles. But, you know, openness is not one of his best qualities. You know, on a totally different front, one of the things I found most interesting was your development of a young American college student who is basically lured to China to work on artificial intelligence. And then the conversations in which they talk about the use of artificial intelligence, and the Chinese analysis of the dysfunction of America. I mean, I thought those sections were extraordinarily insightful. How did you get into thinking about artificial intelligence as a component of this? Artificial intelligence is going to change the way we do research. It's going to change the way we learn things. And it's going to change the way we treat each other. You already have drones flying around, powered by artificial intelligence. There's no pilot. There's just a button in a control room somewhere. It's going to move on from there. China is creating artificial intelligence soldiers at this point, troops that will not be under human command, but will make decisions based on AI. How I got interested in it was I actually do know a young person that A, had great potential to do research in artificial intelligence, and B, 
had soured on the United States and U.S. democracy. And so China was the natural destination. Wow, that's amazing. Well, the world you were describing is actually pretty frightening. I mean, in some ways, the artificial intelligence sections of your novel are as sobering and as intimidating as anything you wrote about the virus. Did you find yourself having that same reaction? Oh, yeah. I scared myself to death when I was writing this. Look, AI is just like any big new development. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. I think that the American efforts to cultivate artificial intelligence and to improve it are being used for good for the most part. Medical research that takes years for people to do can be done in minutes by AI. But of course, if you turn it around and you say, well, we're going to create a battalion of troops that aren't human and aren't run by humans, and if they have, you know, a bullet pierce them, it doesn't matter. They'll just keep on moving because they've been told what to do or they've decided themselves what to do because they're machines that are smarter than people. Yes, it's very scary. And it's another reason to confront China before they leap too far ahead of us and we can't catch up. You use the Chinese to describe the dysfunctionality of the American system as it's evolved in the last 20 years. And it's very sober. I mean, I thought it was very compelling and made a lot of sense. It also really raises a question about how long we can remain this divided and not have a real crisis. And I thought by doing it the way you did it, you make it very thought-provoking. Is that a major sub-theme of yours? Yes, I'm terribly worried, Newt, about the division in our country now. We've taken advantage of the opportunities that America gives us. And unfortunately, many of us have used them in a dangerous and harmful way. People don't talk about themselves as Americans anymore. I'm an African-American, I'm an Italian-American, I'm a Polish-American. Well, okay, we celebrate where you came from, but you're in America now, and we don't want to turn America into any of the places that you came from. It's America. You are American first. The divisions that we have allowed to become common discourse every day on the front page of the New York Times and elsewhere on CNN have divided us even further, and they've legitimized the idea that we are just an assortment of tribes that have been forced to live together, and we don't like each other, but we can't move anywhere else, so we're going to try to take over your turf. I understand that you're currently working on a sequel. Can you give us a teaser as to why we should get it and what it's going to be like? Yes, and thank you for the offer. It largely deals with artificial intelligence, and it also deals with human emotions versus artificially inserted emotions. And in the end, we are still, at least right now, people. And if you love someone, and if you love your country, and if you love its cause, can that be as powerful as artificial intelligence, which decides things for you in a nanosecond? That's the question, and that's the debate. Do you have a title for it yet? I do, and I'm just going to wait until it gets out there and hope that everybody remembers. Well, my hope is when you get that book out there, you'll come back and do another conversation with us and share it with people about your new book. I can tell you I'm looking forward very much to reading it, and I think that it's quite remarkable the work you've done, and I think that, of course, they knew 
is a significant contribution to understanding what's actually happening in the world right now. And I would recommend it to anybody as a very thought-provoking and very serious book. Well, Newt, coming from you, that's high praise indeed, and I thank you. And I just want to say that of all the interviews that I've done about this book, yours has been the most penetrating, sharp, and intelligent one. And I thank you for that as well. Well, thank you, and I look forward to doing the next one about the next book. All right, John? <laughs> Thanks, Newt. Thank you to my guest, John Moody. You can get a link to order his book, Of Course They Knew, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com.